So we've tied the message today, dude, almost. Turn to somebody next to you and go, dude, almost. Uh, we've got a key scripture here today as we jump in. It's Psalms chapter 37. As you turn to Psalms 37, verse 23 and 24, you'll find it as well on the screen. In case you don't have a Bible with you, you don't have a download app on your phone where you can have a digital Bible. My goal in this message today as you turn there is that each and every one of us will understand that failing forward is perfection. <laughs> that uh, almost is, is the a culmination of almost is what creates perfection. And that my heart and prayer with today's message is that each and every one of us would leave here today going, you know what? God loves me, and I may not be perfect, but I'm loving Jesus the best I know how. And that instead of all the failures and the shortcomings and all the checkoff lists that we desired that we wanted to accomplish by this point or this point in our life or this moment in history, instead of being so consumed with the fact that we almost made it, that we'll recognize that the almost are creating the perfections. That the shortcomings, the failures, the, the fall downs, the stumblings, they are actually bringing us to a place a perfection. Look at this verse in chapter 37 of Psalms, verse 23. It says, If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Though he stumble, he will not fall. Though he stumble, he's not going to fall. I don't know about you, but I have stumbled my way through Christianity. Come on now. And though I've stumbled, the Lord has not let me fall. Though I've not been the smartest or the brightest or the best, God has held me right there as I've stumbled through. Come on, almost picture like a little toddler. Remember when you started making their first steps and you're like, I promise you, I did not beat this child. They're learning to walk and they've got knots all over their head. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, mine are fair skinned like their mama. And listen, everybody at Walmart like, you beat that kid, don't you? No, I'm telling you, she's learning to walk. I didn't do it, I promise, I promise. And, and, and the reason why is because as you're learning to walk, as you're getting going, you stumble, but the Bible says he'll not let us fall. And so this whole message, my whole goal in this message is that you and I would get delivered from the fact that perfection, you know, is always when you make the goal and that, that perfection is all a part of a process of almost, almost, almost. And then one day all the almost culminate to a moment of perfection, to this moment where God goes, bam, and you're like, it worked finally. And what I have found is many people have quit on God through the almost, and they never get to see the success that God had intended for them. So with that being said, well, let's go to a character in Scripture who is, uh, who's, uh, I would consider this guy the vice president of Jesus' ministry. We're going to talk a little bit about Peter today and kind of see this guy and how God used him so greatly. And so as we jump in, we're going to look in the book of Acts, and we're going to See how God was using this man in such a supernatural way. Jesus has died at this point. He has resurrected. There, the day of Pentecost has happened where he's poured out his spirit. And many, many, many people uh, are, being, uh, are there for this festival called the Pentecost Festival. They come from all over the world, in the known world, to come to Jerusalem to celebrate as Jews, to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. They're excited. They're glad to be in town. There are a lot of people that you don't know because it's kind of like those 
those of us from Louisiana, it's kind of like Mardi Gras. They, people come from all over the world. They got their own way of living and doing things, and they come into the city, and, and it's just that kind of atmosphere. And in that atmosphere, the Lord pours out His Spirit based on Joel chapter 2, and the power of God comes. They all get to these guys, about 120 of them, followers of Jesus, are in this uh, room, and all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord comes on. They begin to speak in other tongues. They begin to, literally, they are so empowered with the Holy Spirit that they're tipsy, and, and people think they're drunk. So they go down outside into the midst of all this parade type of environment and people start gathering because they think they're drunk and Peter stands up in front of all of them and let's pick up right there at this story point in the story and it says and then Peter stood up with the 11 raised his voice and addressed the crowd now he's got to really be yelling to get the attention of thousands of people in the midst of a parade environment and so he addressed the crowd and he says fellow Jews all of you who live in Jerusalem let me explain this to you Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this was spoken by the prophet Joel. So first and foremost, he stands up in front of all these thousands. Think of the courage. And he starts preaching. It's his first public message ever recorded in scripture and then if we skip down to verse 37 as he gets to into his message he starts telling them, you're the reason you killed Jesus. God bless you, but this outpouring is what was prophesied. You missed it. The Messiah was here, and you killed him. Now, I don't know about you. That's pretty courageous. That's pretty bold. And then if we skip down to verse 37, it says, And when the people heard this, they began to throw things at him. Is that what it says? No. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? I don't know about you, but my first time I've ever shared the gospel, the first time I ever preached, it didn't go like that. They didn't really go, wow, that's awesome. They were more like, oh, God bless you. No idea what you're talking about. You should go to Bible school. (laughs) And, And in this moment, Peter is speaking under the power of the Holy Spirit, and it says they were cut to the heart and dropped down to verse 41. It says, and those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. His first message, 3,000 people get saved. That dude is perfect. That's a dude perfect right there. That's like one of those, oh, my goodness, I can't believe you did that. That's one of, oh, my, oh my God, that was unbelievable. You know, whatever they do, you know, oh, I shouldn't have done that after the surgery. They, I mean, they all into, they're like, this is, uh, I mean, can you imagine going back? Can you imagine after they finished praying and baptizing 3,000 people and they sitting over at IHOP like, man, woo, that was unbelievable. What are we going to do? Oh, my God. I mean, this thing is huge. It's blown up. It's unbelievable. If you keep reading in the book of Acts, a couple of days later, they go to prayer. And Peter's walking up to the gate beautiful, and there's a lame man standing there. And he's begging, you know, he's begging for money. And Peter and John, they just say, no, 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 no. we got to do something different than give me money. And if you'll pick up there with me in chapter 3 of verse 6, it says, And Peter said to them, Silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And taking him by that right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's ankles became strong. He heals this lame man, been sitting there for years, for about 40 years. He gets healed. When he gets healed, the guy starts bouncing. Boing, boing, boing. I mean, he's just, he's just bouncing everywhere. People are gathered around, and Peter starts preaching again. He preaches his second message. He preaches the same thing. This is exactly what God said would happen. The God, Jesus came. He was the Messiah. You missed him. You crucified him, you bunch of idiots. Bam, bam, bam. He's just smacking. Pow, 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 pow. And guess what happens? 
a whole nother group of people get saved. Look down in verse chapter 4, verse 4. It says, but many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. His first sermon, publicly, 3,000 get saved. His second sermon, 5,000 get saved. And he gets a dude healed in the process. Everybody say, dude, perfect. (laughs) Come on, that's dude perfect right there. That is perfect. If you keep reading the book of Acts, and we pick up a little bit further down in chapter 5, it says this. People brought the sick, verse 15, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and a couple of them were healed. And all of them were healed. This dude, his shadow is healing people. I mean, listen, I want to get to the spot where my shadow heals people. I mean, let me tell you, something. I'm going to carry a giant mag-like around. Just quick, get under that, bro. It's happening. I mean, can you imagine? His, people are dragging sick people just to, as he's walking down the street just to get under his shadow so his shadow would come past them and heal them. That, dude, that's perfect. That is the Christian I want to be. Oh, Peter's got, he's the man. But he hadn't always been. We see him as dude perfect here, but I'd like to present to him, to you him in the Gospels just a year earlier, two years earlier, as dude almost. If you turn with me quickly to Matthew chapter 14, we have this beautiful moment, this epic moment, where Jesus has put the disciples in the boat and sent them all across the lake, this giant lake. And uh, in the midst of that, Katrina hits. And so their boat is being tossed and the winds and the waves are coming and they're about to drown. They're doing everything they can to get the water out of the boat. The sails aren't working. There's no motors on boats in these times. And they're doing all they can to paddle and try to get out of it. And they know they're going to die. And in the midst of that, as the lightning strikes, they see in a distance, Jesus is walking on the water to them. And so they begin to freak out. Sorry to use Christian curse word. Oh my God, it's a ghost. And Jesus responds to them at a distance. It's not a ghost, it's me, it's Jesus. And they're like, we don't believe that. Uh Uh-uh, we don't believe that. People don't walk on water, not in the midst of a storm. And Peter, out of all the other, all the other 11, are white knuckle, holding on, peering over the edge of the boat and looking back down, it can't be Jesus. It's a ghost, don't listen, don't listen. And Peter says, if it's really you, tell me to come. And the voice says, come. And Peter's like, all right then. Puts one foot over. (laughs) <laughs> Another foot <laughs> And he starts walking. He says, take the first step. <laughs> I'm sure he's still holding on. Takes the second. Now, this boat's doing this, right? <laughs> and then he lets go, and he starts walking towards Jesus. That sounds so perfect. But let's pick up right there in the story in verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And, begin, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Now, let me put this in perspective. He didn't say it like that. He didn't say, Lord, save me. Every man in this room, it's amazing. When we sneak up in, behind you in the middle of the night and scare you, oh, the manliest man in this room always does the same thing. Lord, save me! It's amazing how octaves go through the roof. I don't care how burly you are, bro. It's amazing. So let's put this in perspective. Lord, save me, he cried. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And Jesus said, 
you of little faith, because, you know, Jesus not worried about nothing. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Can you imagine? Dude, almost. He picks him up, drags him into the boat. It's like, bro, why did you doubt? Man. Golly. You're almost a great man of God. Can you imagine Peter? Peter's like, man. And all the other guys are like, see, I told you you shouldn't have done it. I told you. Why did you do it? Look, you almost drowned. That's Marge, sorry. <laughs> and, and he, but here's my perspective on it. He's the only other guy, as we all would know, no one else in Scripture besides Jesus. History doesn't record anybody else. He's the only other person in the history of the world to walk on water. Though it may have only been a few steps. He walked on water. But he still had doubt and unbelief that caused him to sink. See, this whole message is about this. Before you're the Peter whose shadow is healing people, you're the Peter who's just trying to figure it out. And you're getting rebuked by Jesus. And everybody's laughing at you. And you're just doing your best. You're dude almost. And friend, I want you to know, perfect or perfection is encapsulated when many almost. And I want to liberate you today that you've got to be great, that you've got to be somebody that you can't even be, and that you would just walk it out day in and day out the best you can. And almost, he says, I will not let you fail. Even if you stumble, if you're, if you're stumbling, I will not let you fail. If you'll set your ways towards me, I won't let you fall. I'll hold you. And you'll stumble. The, you may be stumbling your way through this thing. But let me tell you something. He will not let you fall because he loves the almost. He loves that you're sitting there trying, Lord. I don't have it all figured out, but I'm in this thing with you. And I, don't, and I know I'm still making mistakes. And I know I'm embarrassing you. And I know everybody else is laughing at me. But them suckers didn't even try. So on them. And we keep looking down. We see this next moment with him. And we see him in Mark chapter 8. If you'll turn quickly there. Mark chapter 8. There's this moment where Jesus asked him. He says, who do the people say that I am? I quoted this back when we were in the series about who is Jesus. And Peter, out of everybody, responds. He says, you... Oh, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus is like, oh my, what? Dude, dude, how'd you know? Man, you don't, man didn't reveal that to you. You got that from God the Father. That's exactly right, Peter. And on that revelation, I'm going to build the whole church on that revelation. Dude, you, you're a theological genius. High five. Five seconds later, Jesus continues on and he says, look at Mark chapter, he says, now listen guys, don't tell everybody, but they're going to crucify me. They're going to kill me. I know you thought the Messiah was going to be like this general, this, this king who kills everybody and sets up his kingdom, but no, no, no. They're gonna, I'm going to let them kill me for the cause of what I want to do, what, what, what the Godhead desires to do. And Peter says, excuse me, Jesus, come here. Pulls him aside. He says, listen, <clears throat> uh, no, you cannot die. You're the Messiah. I'm sorry that you had a faithless moment, but I have faith, obviously. I have revelation. I'm now a theological genius. <laughs> and so I just want to rebuke you because you um, are wrong, okay? God bless you. And Jesus, the Bible, let's pick up right there, all right? So we'll pick up right there. I love Jesus' response right here in verse 33. When Jesus turned and looked at the disciples, so he grabs Peter and goes, and he looks at all the disciples, and he says this. He says, uh, He rebukes Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. So here he is. He's 
almost. He's almost a theologian. Come on, somebody. He's almost right with God. And Jesus is like, oh, bless your little heart. Hey, stupid, let me explain to you, Satan. Get behind me, idiot, because you don't even have an understanding of what I'm doing. You are all consumed with your own selfish little self. Can you imagine? <laughs> he grabs Jesus, and he's the man. And after Jesus reviews, I almost was a man of God. Oh, almost. Come on, does that feel like your Christian walk or just mine? Come on now. I'll never forget, I was, I was so hungry to be used by the Lord. And they hired me on as a youth pastor at, at, at the mega church I was attending. And, and, um, and we, we get a call. And I was in this moment where I was just trying to hear God's voice. Because I'm, I'm convinced that people don't serve God because they don't know God. Because if they knew him, they would serve him. I'm convinced that they're confused because all the other voices keep them confused and they've never really heard his voice. That if you ever really heard the voice of God, if you ever knew your Savior, if you ever really knew him and had a relationship with him, nothing would ever matter. No drug would ever matter. No, no perversion would ever matter. I'm convinced of that. And so I'm in this journey point, my Christian walk, my leadership development. I'm out of Bible school. I'm pastoring and, and I'm doing my best. And then we get this call that this family, um, we didn't know them. They didn't attend our church, but we were a large church. So they called us for help and they had had a, a, a college-age son, a 20-something son, who had a terrible uh, motorcycle accident. He was on one of those crotch rockets doing about, you know, 150 or so and lost control. And, and literally, uh, he, he's not going to live. And so he's in ICU. So I go up there. And when I walk in the room, you can tell this family is like, the pastor is here. You know, and I'm like, you know, I'm 22, 23. I look like I'm, you know, five, you know, because so... <laughs> And so it's not like there's a lot of honor. They're like, wow, they sent Opie. Oh, well. Um, and so, and so I, I'm just, I, I walk in the room, and they're just like, would you pray for him? The doctor says he won't live, and they won't let us in ICU. Would you go pray for him? I said, sure. And you could see that as they let me go. And so, okay, and I go in there, and I stand over his bed, and this kid's messed up. His head's split open. And I just lay my hands on him, and nurses are walking all around me, and it's, They've got the lights a little lower, and, um, and so I'm praying for him. And I feel like the Lord speaks to me and says, he will live and not die and proclaim the works of the Lord. So I'm like, yeah, in Jesus' name, you will live and not die. So I walk out uh, after praying for him. I walk out into the room, and they're holding on my every word. Pastor, did the Lord say anything? And you can tell they're in that moment where they've not been serving the Lord. They've been away from God, and they're holding to, God, if you heal my son, I'll come back to you. Yeah. You know anybody ever prayed that prayer? God, if you'll fix my problem that I got myself into, I will now serve you. Most of them never do, but the point being is that this is the, who they are. And so I'm standing there, and I have this moment, and I feel like God did speak to me. So I tell them, guys, I, I feel like God told me that he'll live and not die and proclaim the works of the Lord. They go crazy. Yes, thank you, God. We will serve you as a family. Hallelujah. You know, and you know, all their families coming in and so forth. And so I go home. That boy dies that night. And they call the church and they are hot. Because the little stupid pastor said that he would live and he didn't. I, I, didn't, I wasn't trying to hurt them. I, I, I don't know if I did something right or wrong. I was trying to hear God's voice. I'm stumbling my way through this and learning who God is. But I want you to know something. Aren't you glad 
that Peter didn't stop serving God the moment he began to sink and said, well, that's it, I can never do good enough. Aren't you glad that Peter didn't quit on the Lord the moment he had to rebuke him because he had wrong theology? Aren't you glad? See, the Peter that you and I would say, dude, perfect, was the guy who was dude almost getting to the perfect. And the almost got him to the place of perfect where he had understanding. And friend, if you and I quit just because we got rebuked by the Lord, just because it didn't happen the way we thought it was supposed to happen, just because we stumbled our way through it and we didn't do so good, if we quit there, then we never become the Peter whose shadow heals people, the Peter who literally is set in place to help the New Testament church to be balanced and to be appropriate, who knew Jesus face to face. If you and I quit every time we almost make it, every time we almost do right, every time we fail a little bit, then friend, there is no inheritance. There is no perfectness in the gospel. But he says, if you'll just stumble your way through, I'll not let you fall. If you won't quit, I won't quit on you. If you'll stay with me, I'll stay with you. And by the end of stumbling our way through, one day we'll look up and people will be going, dude, that's perfect. And we're like, yeah, but you don't know all the almost that got me to perfect. You have no idea how many times I've thrown this basketball and have never even come close to hitting the goal. You have no idea. And the one time the cameras were rolling that we thought this would be the moment, I hit the rim, but it didn't go in. I've dude almost it my whole life. And that's how some of you feel. Some of you stopped leading a small group because at your last church or 10 years ago, something negative happened. Someone got on to you for something. They corrected you for something. And you are now broken to the place that you're still living in the almost and you can't get to the perfect because you're stuck that, oh, well, if I didn't make it then, if I messed up then, then that's my lot in life. Oh, I thank God. That he put Peter as a primary character in his holy scriptures so that you and I can say, if Peter can do it, I can do it. If Peter can stumble his way through, I can stumble my way through. If God loved him and set him up as one of the chief apostles for the birthing of the New Testament church, and that guy was an idiot. If he did it for him, he'll do it for me. Come on, somebody. Are you with me? Say yes. I was, Jamie and I was there. The most watched preacher in the history of humanity is Joel Osteen. Whether you like his doctrine or not, it's not the point. He's ministered to more people than all of us in this room combined in one sermon. We were there. We were there the third message he ever preached. And when I tell you it was bad, it was, it was terrible. Now you got to understand, at that time there were about 10, 15,000 people in the room. They were always on television at that point. And so it opened like this. We had worship, and then we all sat down, and then a voice came over all the speakers. Okay, let's get ready, everybody. We want you to, here comes the introduction. Everybody clap. I'd never been in a church like that, so we start clapping. I'm like, what are we doing? Joel walks out, and they go in three, two, one, and we're live. And he goes, hi, I'm Joel Osteen. We're so glad you're here. Welcome to Lakewood. And we're just so proud that the Lord, listen, this is my Bible. I can do what it says. I, wait a minute, guys. I, I, I messed that up. Can't, I'm so sorry. Can we try again? He's shaking uncontrollably. I'm feeling sorry for the guy. Like, it's okay. You can do it. It's all right. And so he goes, can, can we do it again? And we're all like, yeah, it's okay. You know, that's your pastor. Like, baby, love, it's all right. And so he says, okay. And he walks back out. And he comes back again. Live at Lakewood. Hey, we're so glad you're here today. And you can live your best life right now. One day I'm going to write a book about it. And, and he's blinking and, and that kind of thing. And, and then he messes up again. 
And he's like, and they were like, ah, oh, cut, roll tape, stop tape, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> 10,000 of us were like, what are we doing? He does it five more times. I'm telling you, it was bad. I was, I was embarrassed for him. I was like, look, I need to preach, dude. You suck. I mean, I was like, this is terrible. It was terrible. Thank God he didn't quit. Thank God the dude almost became the guy who we now know has ministered to our cousins. Come on, some people who will never go to church will watch that boy on TV. And like, I, I, I can do what the Bible says I can. Joel said it. You know, it's amazing. It's magnificent. Why? Thank God he didn't quit. Thank God he didn't give up. I'm going to give you a couple thoughts on how to, how to turn the almost into the perfect. Are you still there? Say yes. All right, number one, embrace the ideology that this is a marathon and not a sprint. Listen, you got, listen you're not going to fix it all tomorrow anyway. Thank you, Jesus. You've been trying to fix it all within a week, and when you don't get it fixed in a week, you quit. Listen, this is a marathon, okay? We in the long haul for this thing. You ask my wife, when I turned 30, I went into a deep depression. I was so upset. She was like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, well, Jesus started his ministry when he was 30. That's when the Holy Spirit came upon him. We didn't even know what he did before that. I started my ministry when I was 19, and I had the Holy Spirit. Surely, and he said greater works than what he did I should be doing. I should be raising dead and healing sick. I'm a loser, and I haven't changed the world yet, and so I quit. Literally, I just moped around for like a month. Because I had this thing that I had to do it faster than Jesus did. I don't know where it came from. I know it sounds stupid now, but not then. You come sit in council with me and what's bothering you, I'll tell you, that sounds stupid too. But that's where I was at. I was just messed up. I thought I, thought I had to accomplish all this by a certain age or I wasn't as valuable. I wasn't as anointed because God had used me at certain levels along the way. And I thought, well, this isn't that good. And literally, I had to get a revelation and grasp the thing that God is at work. And though it take me a year, 10 years, he's going to see it through. And though I stumble my way all the way through it, he'll not let me fall. And at some point, he will accomplish that for which he created me to be accomplished. And I just settled in, and I kind of grew up a little bit. Come on now. And I just said, you know what? It's all in his timing, and I'm going to just do my best to stay on track. I'm not going to try to fix it all at once. And that's what some of you have done, is that you can't figure out why, why it's not all changing and working. In fact, listen, just settle in. And this is a long haul and not a short race. And listen, you may still be struggling a little bit with that old nicotine. It'll come off. Just keep staying with God. Just keep staying. You say, oh, I'm still, I'm still a terrible husband. Just, bro, just stay with the Lord. A little bit at a time. Through stumbling your way through it, one day you'll be teaching us all how to be married. I promise you. I, I knew uh, a Joyce Myers pastor. He would come to our church. I'd sit in the green room with him as one of the pastors. And he said that woman was the most rebellious, wicked person he'd ever had in his church. Can you believe that? She was just horrible. He said we was constantly counting. When she would come, come walking up, he'd go running the other way. He said, I was just tired of talking to her. Talk your head off. She had all these wounds, all these daddy wounds, all this stuff from all the sexual molestation she experienced. She was horrible. She wouldn't submit to her husband. Just a terrible, he said she was the worst person in my whole church. Joyce Myers. Stay the course. And what has been almost all along the way, at some point, will become perfection. God will perfect his work in your life. Paul was frustrated about something that wasn't working in his life, and we find this in 2 Corinthians. And he says, I asked the Lord, I begged him to change this. And the Lord said to me, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. 
My strength is made perfect. That's not a license for us to go out and sin and say, oh, God's made perfect in that. No, what he's talking about is, listen, in all my failures, all my weaknesses, I'm so frustrated with myself. But Jesus is saying, you can keep contending, keep contending, because in your contending, my strength is made perfect. Perfection is coming to you as you continue to contend. Here's the second thing I would teach you that I've learned through Scripture and life, and that is consider changing your approach. If you're going to turn the almost into perfect, consider changing your approach. Some of you keep doing the same thing over and over. But God said, but God said, but God said, but God said. But God said. And you're stuck there. Church on the Hill exists because Adam and Jamie McCain had an open, I had an open vision of downtown Cedar Hill. I desired more to be in Arlington. Jamie kept saying, no, God stay in Cedar Hill. And I'm like, whatever. And then I had an open vision. And it was downtown Cedar Hill around Sam's Pizza and all that. And I saw, I saw you guys pushing your babies in your strollers. I saw older folks and younger folks. I saw this mix of colors. I saw it. I saw you. I saw we were down there. God was doing things. I saw miracles happening. I saw it. And I said, okay, I see it now. I'm going to go forward. And so for the first four, five, six, seven years of this church, all we did was downtown Cedar Hill, downtown Cedar Hill. We adopted the downtown school, which is Bray Elementary. We worked in everything we could. We, we were always at Sam's Pizza. We were always down there at Babe's Chicken. We were always downtown, downtown. We sent mailers out inviting people to come. We sent everybody that was around the downtown area. Went across the lake. None of those people ever came. Downtown, downtown, downtown. I was stuck in the downtown. God said it. I'm going to do it. At some point, I looked up and said, wait a minute. Maybe the downtown thing, I don't know, but it's not working. God, do you have something else? And God pointed us right here. Had we not changed, we'd be stuck wondering why God didn't move, and you wouldn't be here, and I wouldn't be here, and God wouldn't be moving. And so we had to make a change. I still have downtown in my heart. I'll never lose that. I don't know if that was to initiate me so that I would, that I would even come to see it. I don't know what it was all about, but I know this, that I'm not going to stop serving God because what I thought I saw didn't come to pass. Sometimes if you're going to go from almost to perfect, you got to wake up and say, maybe I need to make a change. Maybe I need to make a little difference here. Maybe I need to make a change. That don't mean divorcing, sweetheart. Stay with him. God will do it. Number three. Somebody said, that's a word I needed. (laughs) Number three, humble yourself and ask for help. I have learned to get from the almost to the perfect is when I start stopping and saying, you know what? I need help here. I don't know what I'm doing. Hey, can you help me? Can you, can you give me, you, do you see anything? I mean, what's the deal? What do you see? Can you help me with this? And that takes humility. But if you want to keep staying in the almost, I mean, I'm almost there, I'm almost there, and keep trying to do it by yourself. The Bible says there's wisdom in a multitude of counsel. Here's the third, the fourth thing that I would tell you, and that is take a risk. Take a risk. Take a, try something you hadn't done in a while. Try it. Go for Jesus. Go pray for somebody. You never pray, you know, I'm scared of them, I'm scared of them. Pray for them. Take a risk. Take a risk. Because in that risk is when Peter says, you know what? Y'all may stay in the boat, and, 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 but I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to try it. I may not make it. I may sink, but I'm going to do something that none of y'all have ever done. Can you imagine? Think about this 50 years later. 60, 70 years later, they're all sitting around. John's there with his grandkids. Peter's there with his grandkids. And they get to talking about, remember that time? Remember that time when Uncle Peter, man, was walking on the water? That was crazy. Remember how he was walking? It was awesome. I know that was amazing. That was, he just got out out there and John's grandson looks at him and said Papa how come you didn't get out of the boat my kids ain't gonna say that they're gonna say my dad was crazy <laughs> he kept taking risks Listen, we, we, listen I, I'm, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna just, just kind of settle in and not take some risks for God the supernatural is in the risk that's where the supernatural's at 
risking something, risking your reputation. Go ahead and risking that job and say, you know, my boss is an adulterer, but he calls himself a Christian. I've got to confront him. I've had multiple men in our church that have done that. And I'm going to tell you, some of them lost their job. Some of them got promoted. But every one of them stood in righteousness, and God did not let them fall. Every one of them. God will give you an opportunity. Take some risks. Stop being so scared about that. You're so, your fear of failure is going to keep you in the almost and never get you to the perfect. And so let's go to the last one, and that is this. Run your race. Look at the psalmist said in Psalm 73, verse 2 and 3. says, but as for me, my feet almost slipped. Everybody say, almost slipped. Almost. Say it again, almost slipped. Almost. The psalm just says, I was climbing the mountain. I was getting there, baby. And then I almost slipped. He said, I almost slipped, and let's see why. He says, because... I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So I'm says, I was serving God, man. I was doing my best. I was trying to serve the Lord. I was trying to, you know, get my family around the table and pray every now and then. And I was trying not to be the old pervert I used to be. And I started, my buddies, man, they don't worry about nothing. My car breaks down. They got brand new cars. They go, they go sleep with whoever they want to and mess around, and their life seems to be great. If you keep reading that chapter, what you'll find in chapter 73, he goes down the list. He says they don't worry about nothing. They don't care about nothing. They don't care who they hurt. Their life seems to be great. He said, I envied that. And in envying that, I almost slipped. Can I tell you something? Some of you are stuck in an almost circle because you're trying to be somebody that you're not called to be. I'm not supposed Listen, I love Bishop Jakes with all my heart, but I'm not trying to be Bishop Jakes. I love, listen, I love Gateway Church. They're my friends. I love them so much. They gave $10,000 to this church when we got in this building. That's how much they love us. But I'm not trying to be Robert Morris. He's cool and older and mature, and I'm not. So I'm not going to try to run his race. Because if I do, I'll slip. Come on now. And so you don't need to try to be Pastor Adam. You don't need to try to be Miss Jamie. You just need to be you. The best you can, getting your foothold and pushing forward a little bit. And getting your foothold and pushing forward a little bit. And not worried that you're not so far ahead and just enjoy where you're at right now. Come on, isn't that good? So we got to turn the almost into the perfect. And we do that by staying the course and just walk it out. Nobody's mad. God's not sitting in heaven mad at you because you're almost there. Because he knows the almost will turn into success at some point. Keep shooting. Keep trying. Would you stand with me all across the room? You guys are magnificent. I want to get you home in enough time to bake those, uh, those wings. And heat that dip. <laughs> Not that we care anyway, right? <laughs> Dallas isn't in it. What's it matter? Pepsi commercial should be good. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a moment. My goal with today's message was to liberate you from the fear that you're not perfect. I wanted to set you free from the bad doctrine theology that because you've stumbled here and there, that you're a second-rate Christian. I wanted you to see one of the most powerful men in Scripture It didn't even talk about Paul's shadows healing people. That that man's whole life was marked with almost many stumbling moments. The scripture actually records them so that we can all laugh about it. How shameful would that be about our lives? Peter didn't care. He didn't get stuck at the moment that he denied him three times. When Judas realized that he had been shameful and stumbled he went out and hung himself Peter did 
Peter had an understanding that following Jesus is about stumbling. It's about a whole list. It's about a whole pot full of almost. And one day it all just comes together. And there are these miraculous moments. Please be free. Be free. I want you to lift your hands and receive for just a moment. I know that may be awkward if you come from a different type of denomination. My children, when they're little, they lift their hands to me to pick them up. It's just a sign of surrender. It's a sign of, I need you, Jesus. I know that may not be manly, but humility is what God responds to, and he resists the proud. So I know that may be uncomfortable. Do it for me as a favor, please. Father, right now, we just lift our hands and we say we need you. If you've been trying to run somebody else's race or compare yourself to somebody else, would you just admit that to the Lord? Say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I constantly see this person in the back of my mind and trying to measure myself. I just repent. If you've been so frustrated because you've stumbled along the way, just get over that right now and receive God's grace and mercy. For his strength is made perfect through our almost, through our weakness. You just receive for just a moment. Father, I speak blessing over your people. They love you. They wouldn't have come here today if they didn't. They want you. They want to be closer to you. They wouldn't have taken this time of their Sunday and come been with the body of believers if they, they didn't want to be with you. Speak to them. You can put your hands down. I know they're getting heavy. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name, every man and woman in this room would receive grace and mercy in a fresh new way. Or that they would understand that all the little slip-ups and mess-ups are building to something magnificent and beautiful. And when I was in time of prayer and fasting, I had a word from the Lord. I don't know who it's for, but I saw a man in this room. I don't know what you look like, but I saw the scenario. And you've inherited your wife's children. And when you first got married, you were trying to be like a dad to them. You're trying to be close. And because they rejected that, you kind of gave up on it. It was kind of that almost moment, and you, and you stopped. The Lord says, try again. The Lord says, don't quit. They'll love you like a father one day. Get past their insecurities. I saw there was a person in this room when I was praying late into the night that you've been struggling with an addiction. You were even shameful to even come to church today. And you thought, you know what, I can. I, how can I call myself a Christian, or how can I go to church somehow? I'm not good enough. And the Lord just says, be free from that. Be free from that. He loves you. He loves you for you. And that all those almost are going to be woven into a tapestry that changes people's lives. Going to be put into a movie form. Your life, literally. The addictions that you've stumbled with. As you continue to stumble through them, he'll bring you freedom. And that freedom will cause many to turn to Christ. I saw those things in the, in the spirit. And I don't know who they're for, but I know that God loves you. I, I saw also in the spirit, and you could tell when I got to that point, and I was talking about what happened with us, with the facilities in downtown Cedar Hill. I saw that some of you were holding on to a prophecy or a word that somebody gave you. You were holding on to it, and it was literally holding you back from moving forward because you said, yeah, but, yeah, but I see that God's doing this. Yeah, but this. And I just want you to be free from that right now and walk with the Lord. The Bible says he'll lead you in all peace. It's time for a change. Let go of that thing and move into the new thing God has for you. That's kind of a word for somebody. I don't know who that is, but grab a hold to it. As you sit here with your, stand here, excuse me, with your head bowed and your eye closed, I want to give an, a call, an invitation to those of you that are away from the Lord. He has no judgment for you. He's not angry, but you're not confident if you die today, you'd go to heaven. 
you, you want God, you love God in your heart, but, but you haven't been serving Him. Some of you would say, even admit it to the place, you don't have any relationship. You know religion, you know church, but you don't have a friendship with Jesus. You don't even know what that looks like. Well, the Bible's real clear. If you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that He's the Christ, that He literally will send His Holy Spirit to live and abide in you, and that, will, that, that moment will be this connection of a relationship, and you'll start that thing, and it'll start growing and maturing and to, you become best friends. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're away from God or you've never been a Christian and you want to come home or you want to accept Christ as your Savior today, would you be courageous enough to admit that to yourself? And then would you be courageous enough to let me pray for you? I won't embarrass you. I, I, seriously, nobody will know. Just me, you, and Jesus. But with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, if I'm speaking to you, say, Pastor, that's me. I'm away from God. I need to come home. Or I've never been a Christian. Today, I want to accept Christ as my Savior. With no one looking around, if that's you, would you lift your hand? I'll pray with you. And today will be a day of change. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you, man of God. Thank you, sir. God bless you for your honesty. Thank you. Thank you so much for your honesty. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you, son. God bless you. Come on, I'll give you about three or four more seconds. I don't want to belabor the point. Okay, I see your hand. Thank you, sweet lady. Some amazing people. Precious, precious people who God's in love with. Anyone else? I'll give you about two more seconds, and we're going to close it out. God bless you. I see your hand, son. God bless you. Amen. You can put it down. It's already been about 10, 15 people. You can put your hands down. God bless you. Amen. I want to lead us in a prayer. That prayer of repentance, that prayer of coming to Jesus. I want to institute or initiate, let me say it like that, this relationship with you and the Lord. In fact, I'm going to ask everyone in the congregation to pray this prayer out loud with you so you're not by yourself. But those that lifted your hand, let this be a special moment. You say, well, don't I have to do something? No, it's all been done. It's all been bought and paid for on a cross. I know that doesn't make sense to our mind because we feel like, well, that's, I got to pay for whatever I get. No, no, no. God the Father had an expectation and sent his own son to pay for it. And we get to receive it because he loves us that much. So when we say he loves us, that's what we're talking about. And so I want to lead you in a prayer of repentance and a connection to the Father. In fact, I like everyone in the audience to pray it out loud with you. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I surrender my life. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin, to wash me clean, all of it. I ask you here and now, change my heart, change my desires to your desires. I declare in front of God and all of these people, Jesus is my Lord. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in your book of life. And I promise to serve you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. Would you stand there for a moment? Father, I bless the men and women who lifted their hands and came to you maybe for the first time, maybe coming back. I pray right now they would feel like the blanket of love overtake them. I pray all the hardness of the heart would just soften right now. Lord, some may even begin to weep. Some may even begin to, to contemplate. Whatever it may be, Lord God, and they may just sense the peace of God for the first time. Lord, I pray right now they would know that they have become yours. They can walk out of this place with their head held high. I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. We're one and the same. Lord, that they can know I'm a part of the body of believers. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to say 2,500 Hail Marys. I don't have to give money to the church. I belong to Jesus because I've accepted what he's done on the cross for me. Father, I pray for peace that surpasses all understanding to guard their hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In his precious, beautiful name I pray. Everybody shouted amen and amen. Hey, do you love the Lord today? Say yes. Turn that person next to you and say, dude, you're perfect.